us, loves us, and he says, you're my children, we're still disobedient. And so obedience is one of those things that we constantly need to have in focus. And it's even more important because we live in a world now that simply doesn't want any obedience. Um, I don't know whether I should say this because it'll go in public, I'll probably get shot, but Sandwell has this amazing thing called a free swim for kids during school holidays um, that's in the Sandwell borough. And one swimming pool, I won't mention their name, they had some antisocial behavior, and as a result, they have made it almost impossible for any children to go swimming because you now have to take your parents, and if your parents are working, that's impossible. Why am I mentioning that? I'm mentioning it because actually, that's, they're not dealing with disobedience. They're just doing a blanket ban on a whole group of people. You've got to deal with disobedience, and that's hard work. But the idea is that obedience takes effort. Now, there are a couple of things here. Not only does obedience take effort, but obedience also means we need to know what we need to obey too. The car I saw driving this morning on the rim of its wheel was being disobedient. Because as soon as you've got a flat tire, if you continue to drive, it's dangerous driving and you are driving illegally, your insurance, your insurance is null and void and you're in trouble. And yet people do that. You see how people park, you see all kinds of stuff where people are not obedient. Ben and Natalie said to me they found the German people, because they went to Germany, are far more obedient to law than the Brits. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? Now, that means this book, the Bible, we need to know this. We really need to know. When I talk, people say, yeah, but it's a really big book. If you look at what people have to learn in the workplace, my wife recently started a job, and she had... I think it was four weeks of online training, eight days, five days a week of reading and doing coursework, loads of stuff. If you read this book 20 minutes a day, you will have read it in one year. If you do that for every year of your life, I guarantee you, you will know what it says. And I can tell you something as the pastor of a church and someone who's been in ministry for 30 years, 99% of what people come to talk to me about, is it sin, is it wrong? The Bible already tells you. It's nothing new. The challenge is whether we want to hear it. Now, we've got this amazing example in the Old Testament. You know, Paul said, the reason the Old Testament exists is that it's an example for us about how we are to connect and live with God. And if we looked at the Old Testament, we have these books called 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, and 2 Chronicles. Now, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, and 1 Chronicles, and 2 Chronicles are very similar because they cover a similar material. And they all talk about the kings of Israel and Judah. So what happened was that Israel was a nation, David was a good king, uh, David's son Solomon 
proved to be a good king, but Solomon's son, Rehoboam, split the kingdom, so we ended up with an Israelite kingdom and Judah on its own as a kingdom. And so that's why when you read through those books, you'll hear about kings in Israel and kings in Judah because that had that split system. But what you will find is the period of history that a king reigned the goodness or the obedience of that king determined whether it was an evil or a good king. Because at the end it says, and he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Or he did good in the eyes of the Lord. And here's the thing. If the king was bad, the people did bad stuff. And the whole nation got judged. And the thing that is even worse is that the Israelites were God's people but after generations of kings who disobeyed God, God destroyed the temple. He destroyed the temple because he said the covenant is broken and I'm destroying the thing that makes the covenant, which is the temple. And he had all of the um, Israelites and Jews um, exiled to Babylonia and Assyria because of their disobedience. Now, why am I mentioning that? I'm mentioning it because you know what? It's a lesson for us. There is sometimes this wrong thinking. Now, it's probably just in me. You guys are really good, so I doubt you ever have this issue. But we sometimes think other people should be punished for something, but not me. If I drive badly, well, I've just made a mistake. If they drive badly, they should get a ticket. And we sometimes think that God's going to say, oh, it's okay for you, Simon, you can sin, but if Ben and Natalie do it, I'm going to hit them on the head with a sledgehammer. Now, firstly, God doesn't do that. But secondly, the same rule applies to all of us. The same rule. There is no excuse. That, that's, that, that's a real tragedy. There is no excuse the resurrected Jesus Christ is first seen in the book of Revelation when he visits the seven churches. And his constant refrain to all the churches is this, guys, if you move away from my truth, I will close down your church. I mean, that's freaky, isn't it? Now, it's a challenge. Can I tell you, it's a real challenge because we live in a world that allows us to do things that God says they're not good to do. One of the biggest problems in terms of the death rate in the UK is something called heart disease. And if you're, if you're like me, I have to say, I think a deep fat fryer is an amazing machine. I mean, it cooks the tastiest foods. The problem is, it's not good. I love chocolate. I, I, I went, yeah, I, I, went, I went to Morrison's and they had this massive bar of Cadbury's and it had, this will make you laugh now, this was on Friday I went and it had a Christmas discount on it. <laughs> My first Christmas discount of 2022 was at Morrison's. So instead of four pounds for this big bar of chocolate, I got it for three quid. I mean, I should have bought three or four. Now I can tell you that bar of chocolate is now gone. 
So we enjoy, no. I ate a lot of it. And the thing is, we know what we ought to do, but because we can do things that are not good, we do things that are not good. Isn't it a sad thing that people only change their diet when they have a heart bypass? Or when they go to the doctor and say, you've now got diabetes and you've got to do this, and then, and then people do it. And you see, God looks at us and he says, the reason I give you these different rules to live by is because I know if you don't, it's not good for you. There was a time in my house where if I gave my children the choice, it may still be, would have sweets all day. Would have Nutella on everything. And the thing is, it tastes good, but it's not good. I should maybe do a poll. Any parents have a sweetie cupboard? Oh, look at that. Yeah. Sweetie cupboard. We have to replace it with a fruit and vegetable cupboard. Kids, wouldn't that be great? You come along and say, oh, I would like something cool and crunchy. And said, yeah, I've put some sprouts in the freezer. Just take some of those and we'll blend them up into a smoothie. Wouldn't that be lovely? A sprout smoothie. What do you think, Alexander, a sprout smoothie? Oh, no. And so we live in a world that says, hey, it's okay to have sex with anyone. We live in a world that says it's okay to not pay your taxes, it's okay to cheat, it's okay, you know, not to do the things that the Bible tells us we should be doing. We live in a world that says, hey, it's okay not to forgive that person. You have a right to be angry. I know what it does, it produces people who become bitter, people who have mental health, people who have stomach ulcers and heart palpitations because God says it's not good. I learned many, many years ago that forgiveness is one of the best healing medicines you can ever, ever take. And by that I mean that you forgive someone. I, I've had the sad experience of talking with people who refuse to forgive someone. And all I see is them moving further into a hole of bitterness that is consuming their thinking, their relationships. And who wants to go and visit and talk to somebody who's just bitter and angry? Nobody wants that. The road out of that, you forgive the person. Oh, but, but, you forgive the person. And we have that old song, isn't it? A spoonful of medicine makes the, a spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down. Thing is, these things are not easy to do, but they are good for us. And so I want to encourage you this morning, we need to be obedient to what we read. And it's not rocket science. It really isn't. You know, if you pick up your Bible and you read it every day, I guarantee you that if beforehand you pray and you say, Holy Spirit, I just want you to speak to me through what I'm reading, that as you read, some of the words will speak to you and say, that applies to that situation. That applies to this context. 
I find every day I read something, oh man, I've got to sort this out now. And it could be tempting not to read the Bible. Because then I've not got that voice saying it. But I tell you, the Bible is so essential. And we live in a really blessed time where we have Bibles in so many different English translations that there is one that you will understand. So let me encourage you this morning. Let's be obedient. And and here's a, a bit of a thing that we can also sometimes do. When people don't want to obey, they would prefer to sacrifice something. I don't want to do this, but let me give you, you know, I don't want to go and help people in the homeless shelter, but let me, here's a few hundred quid instead. We want to sacrifice something rather than do the thing. Now, in the Old Testament, Samuel, one of the greatest prophets, said this. Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? And then he says this, to obey is better than sacrifice. A sacrifice, no matter what it is, will never ever cover up the obedience that we should be giving to God. Second thing that we had that came out of that was about emptying ourselves of ourselves. Now that might seem really complex, but I'm going to explain that. A passage in Philippians about Jesus says this, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, rather he made himself nothing. Jesus made himself nothing. What does that mean? It means he emptied himself. You see, we want to be some things. When kids go to school, uh, when people grow up, they want to be something. I want to be a football star. I want to be a singer. I want to be an actor or an actress. Um, I, I want to be someone that people look at and say, wow, that's somebody. Jesus says we need to be nothings. Now, that doesn't mean we despise gifts that we've been given, but it means we look at it in the right perspective. You know, at the end of the day, we are all the same, you know. We are all sinners saved by grace. That's the bottom line. All sinners saved by grace. And if we have gifts that God has given us, they're gifts. If somebody is great at sport or has a great singing voice or is good at acting or whatever, they are good because of a gift that God has given. And we need to recognize that it's the gift. It's God that has empowered us to do that. The problem is once we begin to attach ourselves to it, we have a number of issues. Firstly, if we fall, we fall hard. There are too many people who associate who they are with what they do. Let me tell you, that is a massive, massive problem. Never, ever associate who you are with what you do. And I can give you an example. I'm a pastor of a church. I talk to many pastors, retired pastors, and one of the really big struggles for pastors when they step down is their identity was locked in with who they were as a pastor. And when that goes, they feel like they're nobody. Well, the answer is quite simple. We are not our job. 
we're not. What we are, doesn't matter what you are, whether you're a lawyer, whether you're a driving instructor, whether you, you work in an office or whether you work in a supermarket, whether your job earns you hundreds of thousands or whether it earns you a small amount, at the end of the day, we are not our job. We are children of God. My, my favorite character in the Bible is Enoch. If I only had him in the Bible, I would have about a third of a page and I would have two verses in because he's only mentioned twice. But Enoch, it tells us in Genesis, for 300 years he walked with God. Now what does that mean? Walking with God is an expression of that he had a relationship with God that functioned day by day and the relationship was so amazing that he is the first man in history and only one of two who went to heaven without dying. I mean, that's got to be a phenomenal thing. Can you imagine that your relationship with God is so amazing that you get to heaven without death because God says, man, I want you up here now. Why am I saying that? I'm saying because the most important thing about us is not what we do, it's about who we are and our relationships. Too many people sacrifice relationships for ambition, for all kinds of stuff. I learned a mantra uh, many years ago that said this in pastoral ministry, people are not projects. You know, we can treat people as a project. Oh yeah, my neighbor, he needs to get saved. He becomes a project. And the problem is when he does get saved, we drop the project. It's not about that. It's about who we are. If you notice with Jesus, Jesus preached to thousands and Jesus spoke to one or two people. It never changed. He was always who he was. We are not our jobs. We're not our qualifications. And I know that's really difficult because the world says you are. I mean, whenever you meet somebody new, whether you go to a party or whether you go somewhere... It kind of gets awkward, so we end up saying, well, what do you do? Because in the world, that's really important. What do you do? How big's your house? What car have you got? For God, those things mean nothing. It's about who we are. It's our relationship that we have with God. It's about daily spending time with him. The most important time for you in your life, need some water, is your time daily with God. Pardon me. That's the most important thing. A great man of God once said, a Christian is what he is on his knees before God and nothing else. Now, this actually is really important because if we want God to use us, we need to have a recognition that there is nothing in us that is of any value in that way. It is all Jesus in us. Remember that Paul said that for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So we die and actually the life we live in the body, we live in Christ Jesus. 
The challenge to this is our ambitions, is our desires, it's what we want. I mean, let me dispel something for you, especially if you're younger. In the last maybe 10, 20 years, one of the things I've heard a lot in Christian life is that God only calls you to do what you will enjoy doing. Let me tell you, that's a load of rubbish. In fact, that is so off-beam as to be a heresy, in my opinion. And I meet people, and I talk with them and say, oh, you know, well, what are you doing for God, or what's God calling you? He said, well, you know, I looked, and I don't really want to do this ministry, or I don't really want to help there, or I don't really, you know. It's not about that. Let me tell you, for the majority of my Christian ministry life, I've done stuff I did not want to do. When I turned 30, I knew it was time to move on. I was part of a ministry, and I said to God, what do you want me to do? Anything except I do not want to go to India. So God says to me, hey, Simon, how about going to India? It's kind of, come on, did you not hear me? But you know what? That's where I met my wife. We were in India, 2009. God says, so it's time to move, time to come back to the UK. And I said, yeah, God, I will do anything but not a pastor. Seriously, I said that. I said, not a pastor. And if you ask me why, I said, I don't want a hernia. I don't want the stress. I'd much prefer to sit in the back, you know, in one of the chairs and just enjoy it and let everybody else worry about it. And I came and I had a little agreement with God. He would open one door. But I, God said to me, but you will apply for everything that crosses your table and I will open one door. And so I came and folks said, oh, why don't you try and be a driving instructor? Why don't you do this? I tried. No door opened. And then a friend called me. He says, oh, there's a church in West Brom looking for a pastor. I said, I'll stop you there. I do not want to be a pastor. I put the phone down. I put the phone down and a voice in me said, Everything that crosses your table. Oh, come on. And the long and short of it is that I'm here. Now, that doesn't mean I hate what I do, but I don't find it easy. It's hard work. It's lovely knowing you all. But let me tell you, you get any group of people together and there are always going to be some things going on. What I'm saying to you is, your life is not about you, your ambition, what you want to do. It's about God. The worst possible scenario for me would be to get to heaven, to stand before Jesus and say, you know what, Simon? I had all of this that I wanted you to do, but you said no to all of it. I mean, that, that, that would be a nightmare for me. And we have tried all of our lives, even with our children, to listen, what are you saying, God? You know, if God spoke to Joss and I and said, take your children and go back to India, would go. Even though we think, well, how would it work with their education and Zoe's in a good school? And We would go because we know that the right place to be is where God has planned for you to be. And the other thing within that is that when you're in the right place that God wants you to be, that is where you will see fruit. And so I want to challenge you a bit this morning.
Be obedient to God. Now, I'm a bit in two minds in saying this because on the one level, I want you to ask God, what does God want you to do? But don't ask that if you don't intend to do what he says. I've just finished reading the book of Jeremiah. I think, Dealey, you're just reading through. I hate to tell you this, but there's 52 chapters. <laughs> Jeremiah is an amazing book. But Jeremiah, there is this amazing um, little story in there. So what happened is the Israelites had been disobeying God year upon year. And Jeremiah, for 40 years, prophesied. I can't remember if it was 40, it might, it might have been 50 years. He prophesies to them again and again that God is going to throw them out of the promised land because of their disobedience. And so that time happens. They get thrown out and only a small remnant are left. Um, the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar appoints a king in Jerusalem. He goes away. Some Jews come along, kill the king, causing more trouble. And then they come up to Jeremiah and they say, Jeremiah... We want to do what God wants us to do. You ask him, because we want to go to Egypt, but if he says don't go, we won't go. We will do only what you tell us. He is telling us, go and ask. So Jeremiah goes and asks, and God says, don't go to Egypt. So he says, we will don't go to Egypt. And they say to Jeremiah, you lie! And they go to Egypt. And they get annihilated in Egypt because they've disobeyed God. The, the point to the story is... It may, there's no point saying to God, what do you want me to do if you don't at least have a heart attitude, I'm going to do it. And, and I'll give one extra thing within that. My reading of the Bible and my experience in ministry is God will never ask you to do something that you can do. Yeah, you heard me right. God will never ask you to do something that you can do. Because if you can do it, God doesn't need to do it. He will only ask you to do something that you can do if the Spirit of God is filling you and empowering you to do it. How else do you think one man, Moses, can take uh, one and a half million people out of slavery in Egypt? He can't. It's impossible. But God can. And I look across and I think there are amazing things that you can all do that God wants you to do. It will look impossible for you. But as you trust in God, as you empty yourself of your own ambition, as you are obedient, you will be amazed at what you will see God do. And your life will have more fulfillment than if you owned Virgin Airways or whatever, because following God brings something into your heart that nothing else will. Time is gone. Let's pray.